Uh, what I'd like to do today as we start this series on, on Thanksgiving is I'd like to, to look at the Bible because I think that's a good place to start. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, and we're going to read verses 7 to 12. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. We'll chuck it up on the screen for you as well if you want to read along. Bam, look at that. It says this. I'm reading from the message version if you've got uh, different versions on your electronic device or a stack of Bibles under your seat. It says this, you stare and stare at the obvious, but you can't see the forest for the trees. If you're looking for a clear example of someone on Christ's side, why do you so quickly cut me out? Believe me, I am quite sure of my standing with Christ. You may think I overstate the authority he gave me, but I'm not backing off. Every bit of my commitment is for the purpose of building you up, after all, not tearing you down. And what's this talk about me bullying you with my letters? His letters are, are brawny and potent, but in person he's a weakling and mumbles when he talks. Such talk won't survive scrutiny. What we write when away, we do when present. We're the exact same people, absent or present, in letter or in person. We're not understand, putting ourselves in a league with those who boast that they're our superiors. We wouldn't dare do that, but in all this comparing and grading and competing, they quite miss the point. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. God, that we can gather together as your people in this place. God, leaning into to what it is that, that you're saying, God. Thank you that you love us, God, that you're for us, God, that you're here, that you have a message for each and every one of us. God, I pray that as I'm speaking, it wouldn't be my words, God, but, but that you would just, just land something in our hearts, God, that we would go out of here knowing what you've called us to, God, knowing what you've, you've inspired us to, God, more, more resolute in our, in our knowledge that you've called us to be a part of the change the world needs to see. Thank you that you love us, that we can be a family. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, I've recently been reading a book by, by a pastor called Stephen Furtick. Has anyone heard of Stephen Furtick? Right, he, he runs a church uh, over in the States called Elevation Church, and, and he's, um, he's written a couple of books, but his most recent book is called Unqualified. Right, and, and I got given it. It was, it was quite cool because usually I, I read books on Kindle, but I've got this one in like real copy, which whenever I get a book in like actual physical copy, I'm like, man, this is, this is awesome, right? This is so much better. I don't have to remember to have my iPad with me. It's just here. Um, and, and so I've, I've been reading it, and, and it's, it's a great book. I want to encourage you, you know, if you're, if, you've got, if you're putting together your summer reading plan or if you're looking at a, for a book to read, pick this one up. It's not very long, but it's, it's one of those books you'll go back and back and back through. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's, it's layered. And Stephen Furtick starts the book explaining how he came to the title for the book, right, which is Unqualified. And, and he talks about this experience where one, uh, one morning he was getting dressed for church, right? And he's, he's getting dressed for church, he's getting ready for church, and, and he just goes to his computer and he just opens up YouTube, right? I don't know if you've done this before. He opens up YouTube and he goes to that little panel on the right, the Recommended for You panel. Right, and so he's like, you know, like YouTube knows that he likes listening to whatever he likes listening to and just be some nice music. He doesn't have to kind of think about what he's going to play in the morning while he gets ready. So he clicks on the recommended for you playlist and it, and it starts playing some songs and it starts playing some songs and, and then it gets, it goes into a video which is a, um, an interview with a prominent theologian, right? And he's like, oh, weird, you know, so it's, it's playing through and he's just kind of off from the computer and, and the, the guy's talking and then all of a sudden he overhears the interviewer ask the theologian, so what do you think of Stephen Furtick? 
And I don't know if you've had this moment where you've heard your name and you're like, wow, that's, that's me, right? And so he talks about it in his book. He's like, oh, that, that's me. His, his ears burn. And so he, he runs into the room and he's like, they're talking about me. They're talking about me. And so he's standing there looking at his computer, right, watching this interview. And, and, and this, is, this is the excerpt. This is what he writes in his book. The interviewer asked the theologian, what comes to your mind when you hear the name Stephen Furtick? The theologian sighed and dropped his head, signifying the mere consideration of the name was wearisome. That got the crowd chuckling. Apparently, they knew he wasn't a fan. Long, pained pause, agonized grimace, bone-chilling stare, then the verdict, unqualified. He delivered the four syllables with a disgust that underscored the gravity and finality of his pronouncement. Only the gavel sound effect was missing. No elaboration, no explanation, no qualifiers. My whole life in ministry summed up with a single word. And abruptly, the interview moved on. See, I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I, I, I don't know if, you know, I, I know I've had moments like that where I feel like I'm, I'm not up to the task. I feel like I'm not good enough. It, I haven't had someone call me out on YouTube yet, right? It, it's a goal I'm aiming for. One day someone's going to be on YouTube and they're going to be like, what do you think about John O'Brien? Unqualified, right? Anyway, right? But, but I, I haven't had that moment. But, but I've had that moment internally. I've had that moment when, when I've been faced with a dream, when I've been faced with something that I feel like God is calling me to do. I'm faced with a problem that I feel needs a solution, and I look at myself, and internally the resounding pronouncement is, is unqualified. Jono, how do you think you're going to do that? Jono, how do, how do you think that, that you can be a part of the solution to that? How do you think that you can do something about that? So often in my life, I, I feel like I'm not qualified, like I'm attempting something beyond me, like I, I don't have what it takes. Right? Have you ever felt like that? Like, like, like you're at the, the bottom of a large mountain, like you've bitten off more than you can chew, right? Often in life, we just don't think about the things we know we should do. And we don't think about them because to think about them would be uncomfortable. To think about the task in front of us would, would render us immobilized by our fear, right? By our self-doubt. And so we just put it to the back of our mind. We, we have a dream, but the dream is too big, so, so we just defer that hope. Right, we have a responsibility, but the responsibility seems larger than us. So we, we just put it aside, right? And Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse seven to twelve, Paul is dealing with not just the feeling of being unqualified, but just like Stephen Furtick, people calling him unqualified. Right, so today I want to look at the scripture and at the life of Paul, and I want to ask the question, what do I do when I feel like I don't have what it takes? Right? What, what do I do when I feel that I'm not good enough, when I feel that I'm not strong enough, when I feel that I'm not competent enough, when I feel that I'm not bold enough to, to chase the dreams I have? What do I do when I feel called but not ready? Right? What, what, what do I do when, when I feel stirred to make a change but too afraid to, to be that change? What do I do when I am all too aware that I have a weakness and that I feel my deficit is in the way of my destiny? What do I do in that space? See, see, Paul is writing 2 Corinthians, age roughly 51, right? He, he's been in ministry for, for around about 22 years. He's, he's planted churches. He's been imprisoned. He's been miraculously freed from prisons. People, people have tried to kill him. And Paul is still facing this question, do I have what it takes? See, this is a question that you, you can't out-accomplish. Paul had, had already done more than most people will. Right? You, you can't out accumulate this question. Paul at one time in his life was wealthy and, and well off. You, you can't outgrow this question. Paul was 51, which isn't old, right? Don't want to alienate half of you. 
But surely if you're going to outgrow that feeling, by 50 you would have kind of got at least a little way. But by 50, at least you would feel at least maybe I have a bit of an understanding that I can do some of this sometimes. And yet here Paul is, he's, he's facing this question, am I good enough? Do, do I have what it takes? See, you, you could be here this morning and you could be raising your third child or your first child. You could be here this morning and you could be married or single. You could be broke or, or, or you could be really well off. You could be unemployed or a CEO. It doesn't matter who we are or where we're at, we cannot escape the question that, that I believe plagues all of us, all of our lives. Do I have what it takes? So if you're taking notes this morning, my, my sermon is called, I am thankful, I have a weakness. See, and my goal by the end of this talk is, is that you would be convinced that not only does God want to use you, but God can use you and God will use you, right? But here's our first big problem. No one knows you like you do, right? Which can be helpful about 10% of the time. And it's just really not helpful most of the time, right? Because no one knows your faults like you do, right? No one is a harsher critic of you than you are. No, no one looks at you and sees less than you do when you look in the mirror, right? It's, it's easy to disqualify yourself from being used by God in great ways, right? Because you know your faults, you know your mistakes, and more importantly, you know your weaknesses, the things that, that you have decided you can't do, or the things that, that disqualify you, maybe even make you unqualified. See, but a lot of the biblical narrative is, is built on the reality that, that God can use broken people, that God can use people with massive weaknesses to do big things. In fact, in the Bible, we read about God doing amazing things with broken people, people with large and, and obvious weaknesses. Let me give you a quick list of, of some of the people in the Bible that God uses and the flaws and mistakes that, that they could have decided made them unusable, right? I'll go fast. Noah was drunk. Abraham was, was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah wasn't as pretty. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid and hid in a wine press. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and then committed murder to cover up the affair. Elijah got suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Just as a note, I'm not really going to try any of these ones, but especially that one. I'm not going to do that one, right? Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Jesus. The disciples fell asleep while praying. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus, Lazarus was dead. Right, so, so, so surely if there's going to be something that would disqualify us, it's, it's pretty obvious in opening the Bible that God uses broken people, that our weaknesses do not exclude us from being a part of the change that God wants to bring into the world. So then surely the question isn't, can God use broken people? Because again, again, and again, and again in the biblical narrative, God has shown He does. So the question needs to be, how? Right, this is what we need to know. How does God use broken people? Because otherwise, so often what happens is we oversimplify it. We simply just say that, that He will, which is true. But, but what are we meant to do with this information? Right, what are we meant to do with that statement? God can use you. Cool. Where, where do I go now? Right, what, do I, what do I do now? See, we can say that God can do it, but, but too often we're not shown how? Because the fact of the matter is that God might love me and God might choose me, but understanding that God is going to use me is, is very different than knowing that God might use me. 
And, and for God to use my life in great ways requires an understanding that he can, but also how he will. That God doing great things through me can be. That God doing think great things through you can be an inevitability. Right? Not a question. Not a maybe. Not a, not a perhaps. Not, not if I try enough or if I'm good enough or if I get the things in the right order. But, but that God using you to change the world. That God using you to take that dream that's in your heart and bring it to fruition. That can be an inevitability. See, we need to know how and we need to be shown how. So, so to learn how God uses broken people, how God uses weak people, how God uses real people to do great things. I think we need to look at the life of Paul, right? Because who better to show us how God does this than Paul? And I, I didn't include Paul in that earlier list because I don't know about you, but when I think of Paul, uh, I, I think of him as a man who was bad, right? A, a man who, who was walking the wrong way, who was doing the wrong things, but has that, that, that experience where he encounters God and, and all of a sudden he's changed and then he's the living definition of a saint, Right then, then he becomes Paul the Apostle 2.0, right? Like, like it's like someone takes a little bit of Peter, a, a, a little bit of maybe some Luke, some John, you stir it all together and out pops Paul, right? The ultimate apostle. Jesus was like, ah, oh, you guys sucked. I'll make a new one. Yeah, Paul, you do it, right? And, and to be honest, he, he, he wasn't the, the definition of, he wasn't the, the bottom of the barrel draft pick. Right, Paul was a, a mentee of, of a man named Gamaliel, who was a, a top leader of the Jewish Sanhedrin. He, he knew the Bible. He, he knew the text. Paul was a brilliant theological mind. He could reason and debate with the best of them. Paul gave us concepts that continue to reverberate throughout the landscape of Christian thinking and philosophy to this day. Right? Paul was a Roman citizen, which was just really convenient because it meant that he could get places that other people couldn't. Right, so Paul was, Paul was an all-star, right? Paul was the kind of guy that you want to defend you in a courtroom. Paul's the kind of man that you want to explain algebra and calculus to you because he can do it in such a way that it makes sense. He can, he can make things become fresh and new in a different way. And, and Paul went on to do great things, right? Paul planted churches and preached the gospel in Europe and in Northern Africa and parts of Asia. He, he took the gospel to us, right? The Gentiles, him and Barnabas. Paul did great things for God. And to be honest, I used to kind of find it kind of hard to, to like Paul for this reason. He just seemed so infuriatingly perfect. I kind of preferred Peter, right? You know, like rash Peter, fiery Peter, Peter who keeps on saying the wrong thing. I couldn't identify with that, right? Peter who loses his cool and stabs things at the back of the stage when he's trying to put together a projector, right? Paul would just bow his head and pray. Peter would be like, stupid projector. Ah, sorry, Jesus, can you give us a new projector? I'm much more identifying with that. But here's the thing, right? Paul, is, it's, it's interesting to realize, was, was in, the, in the midst of, of achieving all that he's achieved, there were still people that would strip him of his credentials. There were still people that would say that, that he wasn't enough, that he shouldn't be an apostle, that, that he shouldn't preach, that, that no one should follow him or share his teaching. See, here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and in Corinth at the time, there is a campaign to minimize Paul's accomplishments, Right? And in fact, it's, it's more than that. There's a campaign to de-establish Paul as the leader of this church, to remove Paul as their apostle, as, as their leader, as their senior pastor. And, and so in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul addresses these attacks against them. And he starts in verse 7 by saying, You stare and stare at the obvious, but you can't see the forest for the trees. If you're looking for a clear example of someone on Christ's side, why do you so quickly cut me out? 
believe me, I am quite sure of my standing with Christ. So this morning I've got two points. And in my first point, point one of two, on how we can be used by God to do amazing things, on how we answer the question, do I have what it takes? Point number one is we need to see past the surface. See, the NIV translation of of the Scripture says, you are judging only by how things look on the surface. See, and, and this is critical because today everything is based on first impressions. Right, but, but Paul wants us to understand that if you live your life based only on first impressions, you will never fulfill your destiny. See, because impressions can be deceptive. It was interesting, I, I read this week, when, when businesses are hiring, they, they often have a 40% higher success rate. Right? And, and what that means is, is when they're interviewed 90 days after they've made the hire, and they're asked the question, if you were to, to make the decision over, would you hire this person? Only 40% of businesses say yes, right? Which is less than if you just had someone walk in, flipped a coin, and let the coin decide whether you were going to or not. You would gain 10% if you went with that, right? And, and the reason that, that these academics thought that, that there was such a discrepancy, that there was a less than random result, right? Worse than random result was that, Academics thought the whole reason why was first impressions, that, that when hiring, people were deceived by first impressions, that someone came in and they appeared to be a great hire, right? They appeared to be someone that would be perfect for the company, but then they showed up on Monday and there was a different person to the person that they interviewed, right? That, that the first impression was deceiving. When you look at your life and you attempt to estimate your purpose and you attempt to assess your value and attempt to see what God can do through you, understand that you cannot look at yourself on the surface. You cannot look at who you are. You cannot look at what your life is just based on the surface and say, this is all there is to me. There is more to you than what can be seen on the surface. And I believe this morning God wants to peel back what you see and show you who you really are. That when you look at yourself, you see this. But God says, no, that's not all there is to you. There there is more here. There is more to you than what others see. There is more to you than what you have done up to this point. You know, it's interesting. We we, we like to label things, don't we? You know, we we can encounter someone. So we we have this person and this person is together, right? And then we have this person and this person is less together. Right, no, not quite as as well, put, just not functioning. You know, they're just they're a work in progress. Right, but but the interesting thing is, is despite how good someone looks, how how together someone might seem, beneath the surface is all of those broken and cracked parts. Within all of us is, is, is something broken. We're, we're all looking for healing somewhere. And so Paul does this, this interesting thing. He invites us to see beneath the surface and beneath the appearance of strength so that we can see what real power is. See, because surface impressions will, will never lead to greatness. We, we have to look again. Take, for example, the, the spies that, that Moses sent to, to go survey the promised land, Right? That they go into the promised land and, and they were thrown off by their first impressions. They only saw what was on the surface. But more importantly, perhaps, not only did they only see what was on the surface of the promised land, they only saw what was on the surface of them. Right? That they walked into the promised land and, and they saw themselves and their nation wrong. They looked at the, the giants who were occupying the land and they looked at themselves and they said, amongst them, alongside them, we felt like grasshoppers. See, they, they couldn't see past the surface. I don't know about you, but, but I want to enter a season where God shows me who I really am. 
where, where I'm not bound by a label, where I'm not limited by my own ideas. Where God shows me, look, Jonah, you think you're this, but let me peel it back a bit and show you who you really are. Let, let me pull that back a bit, and, and, and let's just take away that lie that you've been believing about yourself. Let's just take away that, that untruth that you've been convinced is a part of who you are. Let's just take away that, that statement that for the past 10 years you've been speaking over yourself. See, some of us here this morning, you know that there's something you've been saying over yourself because someone said it first, and you just repeated it, and you took it as gospel. You took it as the truth. You know, maybe you were in, in, in high school, and a, a teacher said to you, you know, you're just not... You're just not great at the whole organization thing. You know, just, just get a job where you're not in charge of people. Just, you're never going to go past here. Maybe a family member said, look, you know, you just, you don't stack up, just don't go. Maybe a, someone that you trusted and loved said, look, you're just not great at relationships. Just, this isn't working and I don't think it's ever going to. See, what, what lies have we believed? See, this morning, if you feel that you're unqualified, if you feel that you're unworthy or unlikely, it's okay because it's not what's on the surface, but it's what God has put in you. And this morning, if, if you don't remember anything else, please remember that what God has put in you is enough. God is big enough. God is strong enough. What he's put in you can be enough, but we just need to stop covering it. See, just as I get Wakash up on the keys, my, my second point today on how God uses broken people to do amazing things, to answer the question, do I have what it takes, is, is found in verse 10 of chapter 10. All right, and, and Paul addresses what has been said about him. He, he says this. They write, and, and he's repeating what they've said about him back to them. His letters are brawny and potent, but in person he's a weakling and mumbles when he talks. See, he's saying that he knows that some of them are saying that, that his letters are great. But when he preaches, it, it lacks something. See, my, my second point on, on how God can use us to do amazing things, on, on how we need to answer that question, do I have what it takes, is we need to realize that my weakness is God's secret weapon. See, I don't know about you, but, but when I read verse 10, I have one of those moments when what I've always thought collides with what is actually the truth, right? And I've always thought this about Paul, and all of a sudden, the verse is saying this about Paul, and they kind of come together. And I'm like, wow, well, what's, what's going on here? Because when I think of Paul, I imagine that, that classic picture, I don't know if you've seen it, of, of a man, and he's got like a bit of a receding hairline. He's got a big gray beard. He's holding a book. And he's standing in front of a crowd in mid-shout, right? And when, when I think of, of Paul, I think of the definition of an orator, someone who is an amazing speaker, someone who, who moves people with his words, right? But, but see, that's not necessarily true because Paul mentions this again in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 5 to 6. He says, it's true that I don't have their voice. He's referring to, to the other preachers, the other apostles, specifically Apollos, that I haven't mastered that smooth eloquence that impresses you so much. But when I do open my mouth, I at least know what I'm talking about. We haven't kept anything back. We let you in on everything. See, you, you don't say these type of things unless it's weighing on you, unless you're aware that you have a deficit, unless you're aware that you have a weakness, that you're not perfect. See, we like to think of Paul as the ultimate apostle, that sure, he might have been a bad man, but, but when he turned to God, he was amazing. Right, that, that he was the, man, we want to be like Paul. Because he was bitten by snakes. 
He was, he was shipwrecked. People tried to kill him, but, but he kept on preaching, which is true. But on top of all of that, the Bible would seem to suggest that, that Paul wasn't a great public speaker. That his letters were brawny and potent, but in person, he was a weakling and mumbled. That when Paul got up to speak, this letter would imply that some people went, ah, oh, really? Paul? Can't we have Apollos? See, because here's the thing. Apollos was a Jew from Alexandria, right, in, in Egypt. And he was described in, in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, he's described as a terrific speaker, eloquent and powerful in his preaching of the Scriptures, well-educated and fiery in his enthusiasm. And Apollos comes to the church in Corinth, and it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, that he watered what Paul had sown. And, and Paul and Apollos are friends, right? They're, they're working together. But, but some of the people in Corinth start to decide that, that actually we prefer Apollos. We prefer his, his eloquence and his, and his metaphors and his fiery enthusiasm. And they made this preference known to Paul. See, Paul had plenty of opportunities to stop. Plenty of opportunities to, to count himself out, to say, God, you're, you're going to change the world. God, you're going to do amazing things, but, but not with me. God, I, I'm lacking here. I, I can't do this. That person would be a better choice. God, you've given me this dream, but I just think it's too big for me. Maybe choose someone else. Maybe look again, God, because I think you've asked the wrong person to do the wrong thing. Is there a smaller task for me? I'm Paul, and, and I can write good letters, but people don't like it when I preach. Maybe send Apollos. See, Paul could have said, I can't speak well. I'll, I'll hang back and, and let Apollos do it all. Did you know that scholars estimate that Paul wrote up to 23% of the New Testament? See, that's a big chunk. But have you ever stopped to think why? Why did Paul write so much? Maybe. Maybe he wrote so much because he had a weakness. Maybe he wrote so much because he couldn't speak that well. He wasn't an amazing orator. And, and so he turned to writing letters to make sure that people understood what he felt it was that God wanted to say. See, here's the amazing thing. Once we get a hold of this revelation, we can begin to see through our weakness. And we can begin to see that our weakness can start to become our secret weapon. Right? We, we know that Paul had a gift that enabled him to touch the world that, that blesses us today as we read his letters. But if Paul was a better preacher, would he have written things down. If, if Paul was perfect, like we wish we could be. If Paul was perfect, like we claim once we are, we'll start doing things. If Paul had that deficit filled, like we say, God, I'll do that once you sort this thing out because I just don't feel like I can right now. Would, would Paul have written the letters? Would we have what we have? Or would it be like Apollos who did amazing things? But none of the books in the Bible can be directly attributed to him. See, Paul took his weakness, but he didn't let it stop him. Do we do that? Or do we take our weakness and we decide it makes us unqualified? That, that when our, our weakness answers the question, do I have what it takes to be used by God with the resounding no? And just as I finish, as I get the band up, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 to 10. We're going to put it up on the screen. And Paul says this. I'll start reading it. 
because of the extravagance of those revelations. And so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he in fact did was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first I didn't think of it as a gift and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in my stride and with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. See, at some point we have to realize that the thing that we thought that meant we couldn't is one of the things that God is going to use to do the impossible. See, this morning, maybe you feel that that your weakness is that you're shy. But in your shyness, God can use you to to connect with people more intimately. See, maybe this morning you feel that your, your weakness is that you're afraid. But in your fear, you have to rely on God fully. Because you can't do it on your own. Maybe here this morning you feel that your your weakness is a mistake of your past, but God can use that mistake to allow you to connect with other hurting people. See, well, whatever your weakness is, maybe today it's time to stop despising it. Maybe today it's time to stop using it as an excuse, to stop hiding behind it and realize that in our weakness, God is strong. That in the words of, of Paul, and so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Maybe this morning it's time that, that like Paul, that what could have stopped us won't stop us, but it will redirect us. That, that, that we won't give in, that we won't be counted out, but that, that we will rise up aware of our limitations, but not living in our mistakes, but learning from them, not disqualified by our lack, but creating more room for God to move in it. See, today, if you know that you have a weakness, today, if, if you know that you have a lack, if you know that you have a deficit, but that deficit isn't in the way of your destiny, The deficit is how God is going to use you. That as you get weaker, God gets stronger. That through you, God can use you. Not not without your weakness, not ignoring your weakness, but in it, because of it, through it. If you know that God can use you, that God is going to use you, that is it an inevitability that the dreams God has placed in your heart will come to pass. Come on, church, stand to your feet. If you're here this morning and you know, as we raise our hands, If you know as we pray that we need to see past the surface, that we're not the lies that God would say are lies, that we're not the the temptations that would come at us, that we know that God has called us for more, that we won't let ourselves stand in lies any longer, but we know that our weakness is God's secret weapon. Come on, as we sing this song, let's stand here and know that we will not be disqualified, that we will not be counted out, that God is for us, God is in us, that God is the God of our weakness. Come on, Judge Sing.
everyone just as as heads are bowed and hands are raised. God, we stand here this morning as your church. God, knowing that we have faults. God, knowing that we have weaknesses. God, but today we stand here and we choose, maybe for the first time in a long time, to see beyond them, God. God, we won't be deceived by the first impression of who we are. God, we won't count ourselves out. God, we know that you've called us for great things, that that we are in this city for a reason, that that we are called for such a time as this, that we will rise up, that, that it is an inevitability that this city will be changed for you, God, that this nation will know your name, God. God, that government will bow, God, that, that industry will bow, God, that, that arts will bow, God, that sport will bow, God, that, that entertainment will bow, God. We know you are coming, God. God, and we know that we get to be a part of it. God, so help us to see past the lies. God, and help us to to recognize that in our weakness, you are strong. God, in our lack, you abound. God, the very thing that we thought disqualified us is one of the things that you're going to use to do the impossible. Come on, church, just, just one more time. Let's just sing the bridge of this song. What a Savior. Come on, it's in Jesus. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is Come on, it's not in your ability. It's not in your capability. It's in his strength. 